and welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the evils of socialism and the glories of iced tea, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Rush Limbaugh's book, Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims. Joining us to discuss this work of historical fiction is artist-slash-socialist Reed, who also happens to be my brother. Welcome, Reed. Hello! <laughs> so glad you could join us. Um, I, especially uh, since this is of the first one that we've read that has illustrations, so it's great that we can have your artistic eye to uh, uh, help us break down why exactly they are so frightening. <laughs> They're so frightening, guys. I do really like the uh, the the time portal itself <laughs> that they jump through. It, We're gonna have to see if we can put a couple of these up on the website for you guys to see if you're listening because they're truly, truly horrifying. The time portal looks a lot like um, like My Little Pony effects. <laughs> Oh yeah, or just like a Lucky Charms thing, <laughs> yeah. where like, I feel he like comes through a weird rainbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, so this book that we read, this is Rush Limbaugh's um, first book for the young adult market. I... Is it young adult? Mm, young adult, I don't know. We have it in young adult because I think really the only people who read it are adults. Yeah. I'm not clear on what age these kids are supposed to be or what age of children are supposed to read this. Yeah, it I mean, I I got the impression that they were middle schoolers, but at the same time they were written at times way younger and at times way older than middle schoolers by a man who has clearly never met a human child before. Yeah, I, I would have no trouble believing these kids were meant to be anywhere between the ages of 8 and 18. Yeah. Like, any, any one of those, I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> All right, so this book, um, Rush Limbaugh wrote it about a character named Rush Revere, who is also the mascot of Rush Limbaugh's iced tea company, <laughs> which is real. Um, I thought Stephen Colbert made it up, but it's real. It's called Two of by T. Yeah, uh, it's twenty five dollars for a, a twelve pa- a twelve pack. Yeah, but it's for freedom. So <laughs> anyway, so this iced tea mascot is also a substitute history teacher, um, and he has a magical time traveling talking horse named Liberty. And he is he is he actually a descendant of Paul Revere? Um, is that? I thought he said he just had the name because he always admired Paul Revere. Yeah, maybe. he's his hero. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's more books. Maybe it's, like, revealed later on that he is. <laughs> but anyway, so in this book, he takes over for a class of children of some indeterminate age. I don't think it's ever specified. And as we've... He definitely has the John Grisham, like, never interacted with an actual human child syndrome. But he's teaching these children, and um, to do so, he travels back in time to show them what it was really like back then, and he takes a few of his favorite students back in time with them, and everyone else just has to watch through the time portal. And so we learn important lessons about 
what the pilgrims were actually like and how much they hated socialism. They hated it so bad, you guys. It's true. It it is the worst. They all would have been dead if socialism were enacted, including all of the Native Americans. They also really hate socialism, strangely. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I trust Rush Revere and Rush Limbaugh to, you know, teach me about these things. So, whew. Yeah, this, I think we sh- I think we should make it clear that uh, they're not actually watching it through the time portal. Uh, Rush Revere <laughs> brings his iPhone back in time, <laughs> right? Through, and he has a button in his shirt that has like a secret hidden camera that is streaming through like time and space, two hundred years into the future, flawlessly. Right. Yeah, but it has a one minute delay built in yes. so that he's able to get back into the classroom. <laughs> So that most of the kids don't realize he's actually time traveling. They think it's just a movie that for some reason he and his talking horse star in. <laughs> yes. This So it has like the convenient time delay thing in common with The Secret. And another thing it has in common with the book The Secret is they're both printed on the same faux parchment paper. Uh, which, you know, it just makes it seem a lot more historical and trustworthy than if it were in regular paper. It is, like, I can't, I mean, first off, this is straight up, this is straight up Rush Limbaugh's Mary Sue self-insert American history fan fiction. Like, absolutely, he goes back to, you know, meet the pilgrims, and William Bradford is, like, his BFF immediately, and, like, because when he, he keeps jumping back to the present, and then returning to the past several months later and i guess no one notices that they kind of notice but they're it's so weird because they're like oh rush we wondered where you went like they are on a boat or they are in a very small colony and rush is just like oh yeah i was just like busy and it's so weird to me that he would like most time travel things you know, people are really careful about not wanting to, like, interact with people or, like, be memorable. Um, but it's his goal to become, like, William Bradford's new best friend forever with matching friendship bracelets. Like, and it's it's weird because they do, they try to hand wave it, but they just don't do a very good job. Like, on the boat, when they're on the boat, he doesn't say, like, oh... We were wondering where you were. He, like, literally says, like, oh, I just haven't had time to, like, look around and see everyone. So I guess I just missed you. And, like, that's it. But I mean, it's not a huge boat. They talk about how it was a, a cargo transport boat and all the people are squished into one deck in one small space. But, you know, he just didn't, he just didn't have time to look around and see where Rush and Tommy were. And there's also, um, so Liberty not only is a time-traveling horse who can talk, but also when he holds his breath, he's invisible, which is how they explain away having a horse in situations where a horse should not be, such as a boat or middle school classroom. 
Yeah, and the horse is also in the beginning introduced in the bathroom, and he's potty trained. Oh yeah, so we're like, like he only uses human toilets and like washes his hands or his boobs, I guess. And time travels back to fifties diners and orders food for himself there. That was very weird. And he eats hamburgers. And he's a horse. Well, I thought he liked the veggie burger though. Oh, yeah, you're yeah, right. He's vegetarian. You're right, you're right. right. The vegetarian Rush, he's the hamburger. I'm sorry, you guys. I didn't mean to malign <laughs> Liberty the talking horse. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, And Liberty the horse, he's always has, he always has these kind of zingers. Um, I think, I, I feel like he was modeled after Salem the cat from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but he just isn't as, like, comically written. But I no. feel like he has that same vibe of, like, wouldn't it be funny if, like, an animal said this? Like, if an animal was very disdainful and yeah. very, like, whatever. If a, if a horse makes poop deck jokes for a page. <laughs> a page. Like, a full-on page. <laughs> oh it's ridiculous. I, I feel like he's kind of almost a cross between Salem the cat and Garfield the cat. Because <laughs> yeah. almost everything he says has to do with food. Right. He, he hates a- Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> power to travel through time to anywhere and all he ever talks about is like oh yeah i remember that place because this is what i ate there isn't it hilarious that all i care about is food like it's very consistently brought to center stage of this horse is obsessed with food and obsessed with eating and that 90 percent of his jokes and comments will revolve around food in some way i'm not quite sure why do we do we think maybe liberty has an eating disorder it's entirely possible. <laughs> and also, with the time traveling, there was a bit where he was saying that he can only travel to places in time that deal with American history. Oh, so he, yeah. He can't right. just go anywhere. It's, so it's only within, like, the past 250 years and, like, Europe, but if they're traveling to America or something like that. Yeah, because they, they first go to Amsterdam to meet, with the, to meet with the pilgrims when they're getting ready to go. But, I mean, he can, he's in Amsterdam. He could talk to other people, but I guess he could only get to that location because it connected back to the Pilgrims. Exactly. It's real weird. It is. It is very weird. And it's very, like, oh, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> um, it's horrible. It's it is. It is horrible. Garbage propaganda. Oh, that's what I was going to say about it being garbage propaganda is that it's very like gotcha in a way, but in a, the same time, like he completely ignores. He totally goes into the whole like, oh, they're going to the new world so that they can, you know, practice their religion in peace and, you know, their poor tortured souls and buys into all of that mythology and all of like the really harmful mythologies of American history, but sprinkles through these little facts that are like, oh, why are we landing here at Cape Cod? I thought we landed at Plymouth Bay. Oh yeah. no, like first we explore, we're going to explore Cape Cod and then, you know, eventually they settle in Plymouth Bay. So it's filled with these gotcha moments, but they're about tiny, insignificant details while yeah. buying into the larger problematic American historical mythos. The first boat was the Speedwell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and, and Rush, he does, Rush Revere doesn't actually seem to be a very good historian 
in that he didn't know about this the speedwell boat. And then, like, when they first are trying to find the pilgrims, he's like, I'm trying to find these pilgrims. You know, they're going to be dressed in black and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, what? You guys are wearing colorful clothing? How would anyone know this? <laughs> like, you, as an historian, I, I feel he would have known that. Guys, he's not a historian. He's a substitute history teacher. So, <laughs> <laughs> And ice tea mascot. And Come on, that's mascot. important. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Also, so I didn't realize that his iced tea was a real thing um, until after I had finished reading the book. And there's definitely an illustration like halfway through that is legit just an advertisement for his iced tea company. It's just the logo. <laughs> Which like knowing that it's real, like when I thought it was a fake made up thing, I was like, well, whatever. And now like, no, he literally in the middle of this book is advertising for his iced tea company to children between the ages of maybe eight or 18. We're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, trying to figure out like the age of the kids reading this. And I feel it's more of a thing where the parents are just reading it to the children to kind of indoctrinate them to this kind of uh, ideological these uh, ideas. Big, uh, this book won an online award for children's choice because Rush Limbaugh went on his radio show and told parents to vote for it online. It was just like an online voting thing. <laughs> and it oh worked. my god. <clears throat> he also well, has talked about yeah. how like as a tax write-off, he's donated thousands of copies of this book to schools around the country. So well, that's cool. Oh. Uh... Like, I could see, like, when we were reading Theo Boone, you know, another purportedly middle grade, maybe young adult book written by an old white man who thinks that he knows how children act. I could vaguely see what might drive a child to pick that book up. You know, I cannot see what would make a child read this book. The talking uh, horse? <laughs> they like, just I like... They if just you're... like his comically sized head. <laughs> <laughs> it's like five human heads. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um, okay, so also, let me talk about another thing that was gross about this. I mean, everything was gross. But, the whole book was gross. Um, so he has two favorite students, and one of them is Tommy, who's like a slacker jock, but then turns out he's secretly a genius, but he just pretends not to be smart because he knows it's not cool to be smart. And then Freedom, who is a young American Indian girl, who Rush describes creepily, like he talks about her beauty in a way that's really creepy, given that she's <laughs> 8 to 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess he does say, he never says what grade, he says middle school, so I'm guessing we're talking, like, grades five through eight, somewhere in there, but they don't, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, her name's Freedom, and she has a mystical connection to animals, and she says that (laughs) Liberty is a spirit animal, and so she can, like, emotionally talk to him and, like, read his thoughts and stuff. In addition to the fact he has a talking horse who can talk to anybody, but she has a further special ability. And she yeah. always wears feathers in her hair because she's can... an Indian, you guys, and that's their culture. And, and she has not... a hole in her jeans, but it's not a fashion statement. It's just because she's poor. <laughs> yes. Because of the white man. <laughs> and it's not just liberty like she she talks about how she can talk to like all animals oh and also she lives with her grandfather because she's not stereotyped enough at this point 
she either doesn't have the parents aren't in the picture and it doesn't mention them at all. She just lives with her wise grandfather. Who it's, teaches her how to track animals. Yeah. Despite uh, the fact that they seem to live in suburbia. Whatever. Oh gosh. It the whole the whole book is just exactly what you would expect from a book about the pilgrims written by Rush Limbaugh, except worse because it exists as a book aimed at children. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah, he very much uses it throughout as an opportunity to just, like, um, spread his own tea party, ha, beliefs. Because <laughs> um, constantly he'll talk about how um, the pilgrims originally had a common house and they are going to have a common field. And when Rush first hears about that, he, he's like, oh, no, that's not freedom. Like, that'll never work. And then it doesn't work. And then he he's, like, trying to convince William Bradford to, um, you know, let everyone have private property because that's more fair and just. And the thing is, like, this, it did happen that way. And after reading this, I was kind of looking around online and I've discovered that this is, like, a favorite story of conservatives. Like, they love that communal farming didn't work out for the pilgrims. They love it. And that's okay, I guess. But then the grossest part to me is then he has Squanto come in and be like, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, I don't think communal farming is a good idea. I think it's great that you guys have your own separate pots of land. Like, that is not correct. No, No, it's not. (laughs) And it's infuriating. Not oh, it's just like the whole the whole thing is just so gross and so self congratulatory. I, I I'm horrified that this book exists and that there are more of them. There are two more of these books, <laughs> and they're all printed on faux parchment paper. <laughs> and it's it's weird too because I had for some reason I had thought that the one about the Revolutionary War was the first book and that this was the second book, but it turns out this is the first book. And I had said um, earlier when we were planning this episode that I appreciate it because um, in the last book we were talking about how every series needs a Babysitter's Club expository chapter to explain the concept of the series. And this book had one of those about halfway through. So I was really excited that even though the rest of the book is a heap of garbage, that this one thing was there. But it turns out this is the first book, in which case it is really not written as the first book in a series. You jump right into the action. Nothing is explained. None of the backstory is given until literally halfway through. It's just, it's written as if, like, I stepped in assuming that all of this had been discussed prior And that the idea is that, you know, people will have read the first book and now they're reading this. And then if you're still reading it halfway through, we're going to throw you a bone. But no, it's like, I I don't know. It it just, it's poorly written, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So on top of it being garbage (laughs) and the politics being garbage, it's poorly written garbage and it offends me. (laughs) Don't forget poorly illustrated. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, Reed, do you want to describe some of the illustrations to us? Uh, well, my favorite one, 
features it, it, it depicts when he brings uh to- Tommy, right? Tommy, the little boy. Yeah. And he gives Tommy the uh old clothes and they hop back in time. And <laughs> Rush Limbaugh has this gigantic head and he's kind of like pointing <laughs> into the into the past, I guess, very triumphantly. And they you know, they're landing on the Mayflower uh, <laughs> in like the storage closet or whatever it is. And the little boy is just so happy. <laughs> and they're it, like the time portal is this weird, it's just like this purple and gold kind of like beams of light that are like sparkling. And it's just ridiculous. Um, and they're really not very good either. Like they're clearly like a Rush illustrator job. Um, not a Rush Limbaugh, like, you know, a quick, a quickly done uh, job on on the computer rather yeah um, it looks like the background is like clip art and then somebody has sort of painted this this other stuff and then just enhanced the size of rush limbaugh's head like five times yeah and rush limbaugh he really looks like uh will sasso in <laughs> with his head so large <laughs> and his head it's the same head in every illustration the same head is photoshopped onto his body no matter what he's doing. Yes. And that yeah, his facial expression weird. never changes. <laughs> I also like the one early on when there's some kind of comical, I don't even know how this possibly could have happened, but Liberty the Horse, when they were in Amsterdam, got wooden clogs yes. stuck under to yes. his feet. <laughs> he's wearing the shoes. <laughs> and so there's a painting of him wearing wooden clogs on his horse feet, which uh, wouldn't work. Yeah, and well, Tommy got in trouble, obviously, when, when the horse took the shoes off in the classroom and broke a window. <laughs> <laughs> so he got detention from the principal for that, but the joke was on the principal because for detention, he just went back into time with uh, Rush Revere, which he loved. <laughs> which, by the way, can we talk a little bit about, um, as a teacher, Rush Revere's classroom management? Like, he physically leaves the building and the year. Like, like these children are completely unattended, and it's really, like, the equivalent of having them watch a movie while he steps out for a smoke break, except that he has gone back in time. (laughs) Back to another country. Back in time to another country. Yeah. Uh, He can travel back, you know, seconds after he left, so it's like he never left. But he can't really, I mean, if there were an emergency in the classroom, like, um, you know, he wouldn't be there. No, yeah, I I have a substitute teaching license, and, like, that's that's your job, is just to sit and babysit these children for an hour at a time. Like, that's your one job. You're not really required (laughs) to teach. You're just a babysitter. (laughs) He puts a lot of faith into, like, the whole conceit that, which kind of falls apart, um, that they think this is just a movie that they're watching and that he's not really time traveling, is that they're so enraptured by the movie and paying so much attention to it that they don't notice him and his giant horse walking into the room a minute before it ends. And his giant head. Every single one of those children <laughs> needs to be so focused that they don't hear him coming and going. Well, actually, I've... if you'll recall, Freedom noticed 
because she's so observant. And so she is the one who, after class, like, called him out on it and was like, hey. But... And wasn't she the one that could, like, see... Like, she could see the horse even when he was invisible, too? Yeah. Yeah, because of her animal... Spirit animal powers. Yeah. Yeah. But doesn't... Because so at first, like, only... She's the only one who knows that he was really going back in time because she's so mystically perceptive, like, you know, those Indian women are. And then Tommy, he tells outright. But then at the end... Do the rest of the kids figure it out? Um, I was unclear on that. (laughs) Like, they know for sure that Liberty is a real horse, which at first Russ tries to... Yeah, at first he tries to pretend like it's just a trick or whatever. And then they're like, no, that horse is straight up talking. And he's like, fine, they are. But, um... And then he uses the fact that, because he makes them all promise they won't tell anyone, but the queen bee at school, whose father is the principal, tries to get Rush Revere in trouble by saying, like, look, there's a horse in the classroom, but Liberty keeps holding his breath so he becomes invisible, and the rest of the class just goes with it. It's like, there's no horse here, what are you talking about? Until she has a breakdown... And, you know, is emotionally destroyed in front of her peers, and they all have a good laugh about it. <laughs> right. Which, I, like, um, like John Grisham, I do not think that Rush has a good idea of what makes a kid cool. Because, spoiler, it's not having a principal as a dad. <laughs> uh, but in this case, it, uh, having a principal as your dad is almost as cool as having lawyers for parents, apparently. <laughs> Just so cool. Just being into history is what makes you cool. Oh, yeah. Knowledge is power. Oh, my God. I just remembered about when he's dissing <laughs> collectivism and socialism to William Bradford the second time when he goes back prior to Thanksgiving. And he's talking about how seeing Tommy at football practice has given him an idea of how to present <laughs> <laughs> the idea of personal property to William Bradford because football in the true American white male fashion literally saves, you know, America. Yeah. This book is gross. Like Rush Limbaugh is an old white man and he keeps like hanging out alone with um, a boy who he likes to watch at football practice and (laughs) a girl with no parents who he likes to talk about how beautiful she is like alone like first of all as a teacher you're almost never supposed to be alone with a student and then especially not like take them on your horse that travels through time (laughs) like not cool (laughs) oh god it was just (laughs) oh man yeah, I, I'm still also still not over, like, how William Bradford becomes, like, his BFF and, like, looks up to him and wonders where he is. Like, when after the boat, once the pilgrims are settled um, in the Massachusetts colony, there uh, he claims that the reason why he disappears for such long periods of time is because he's, like, out in the woods exploring with his between the ages of 10 and 13 year old male ward and then eventually um 
like they're like, oh, we found this this Indian girl wandering around, and we gave her clothes like us, and she goes with us now too. And it it just still seems strange. It seems strange, but William Bradford is always like, oh, I wonder where Rush Revere is. Like, I I would love to run this by you, Rush, but I couldn't find you. I am uncomfortable with what this says about Rush Limbaugh as a person. Yeah, he definitely was not considering the space-time continuum at all while writing this. Well, he did for a little bit because there's the part where, like, people are sick and suffering and dying. And, and the little Tommy's like, we got to, you know, let's go back to the future, get a medicine, and, like, we'll save him. And he, there's a couple pages where he's, like, talking about how, you know, we can't save him, we can't interfere with the past. And yet... And unless did, it's to end socialism. Right. He, like, befriends William Bradford and, like, which definitely would, like, change history in some sort of way. And then there's that other part where Liberty the horse, like, blinks. Like, if 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 his eyes are shut, then he can stop time for some reason. And then they save that little boy from falling out of the tree. And right. so there is, the, like, he doesn't mind interrupting with the past uh, very selectively. It's very weird. Well, I, I think his rationale in that one was, like, the boy was only falling out of the tree because they surprised him. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so totally fine. Okay. Um, no, I mean, it's not as big as garbage. But in that, <laughs> in that one instance, he did sort of justify it. I don't know, man. This book is insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we want to move into our dramatic readings? Sounds and, uh, good. Give everyone a nice full glass of iced tea. Oh, some right. freedom tea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start us off. I'm gonna read the introduction, which is a note from the author. So it's from Rush Limbaugh, not Rush Revere, and it's gross. Very different people. <clears throat> totally different. <laughs> we live in the greatest country on earth, the United States of America. But what makes it so great? Why do some call the United States a miracle? How did we become such a tremendous country in such a short period of time? After all, the United States is less than 250 years old. I want to try to help you understand what American exceptionalism and greatness is all about. It does not mean that we Americans are better than anyone else. It does not mean that there is something uniquely different about us as human beings compared to other people in the world. It does not mean that we as a country have never faced problems of our own. American exceptionalism and greatness means that America is special because it is different from all other countries in history. It is a land built on true freedom and individual liberty, and it defends both around the world. The role of the United States is to encourage individuals to be the best that they can be, to try to improve their lives, reach their goals, and make their dreams come true. In most parts of the world, dreams never come, never become more than dreams. In the United States, they come true every day <laughs> because oh of God. the secret. He didn't say that. I was it. <clears throat> but you know that that's what he's thinking. Uh, of course. <laughs> there are so many stories of Americans who started with very little, yet dreamed big, worked very hard, and became extremely successful. The sad reality is that since the beginning of time, most citizens of the world have not been free. 
For hundreds and thousands of years, many people in other civilizations and countries were servants to their kings, leaders, and government. It didn't matter how hard those people worked to improve their lives, because their lives were not their own. That never happened in America. Nope. That's me again. I need to stop and just read this. <clears throat> they often feared for their lives and could not get out from under a ruling class no matter how hard they tried. Many of those people lived and continue to live in extreme poverty with no clean water, limited food, and none of the luxuries that we often take for granted. Many citizens in the world were punished, sometimes severely, for having their own ideas, beliefs, and hopes for a better future. The United States of America is unique because it is the exception to all this. <laughs> Our country is the first country ever to be founded on the principle that all human beings are created as free people. The founders of this phenomenal country believed all people were born to be free as individuals. And so they established a government and leadership that recognized and established this for the first time ever in the world. America is a place... Where the individual person serves himself and his family, not the king or ruling class or government. America is a place where you can think, believe, and express yourself as you want. You can dream as big as you can and nothing is holding you back. This book on the pilgrims is part of the great tale of how the United States of America came to be. The pilgrims came to our shores more than a century and a half before our country was established in 1776, but their reasons for coming to the New World helped to sow the seeds of our nation. The story of the pilgrims and their arrival of the new, in the New World has been taught for hundreds of years, and in time, the story has been tweaked and changed by people to the point that it is often misunderstood. I want you to know the real story, what really happened, who the pilgrims really were, and what they did when they arrived. Let me introduce you to my good buddy, Rush Revere. Together, we are going to rush, rush, rush into history and the story of the pilgrims. Oh, I for we forgot to say that to go back in time, that's what Rush Revere says to the horse, or what the horse says. His catchphrase is, rush, rush, rushing into history. Anyway, I really cannot wait for uh, Rush Limba or Rush Revere and the Civil War. uh, I can't wait for him to, uh, in any way, address the fact that uh, slavery happened and that whole uh, prologue did not acknowledge that at all in any way. Do you need a drink after reading all of that? Like, do we need to take a pause so that you can... (laughs) Yeah, you guys just finish without me. I'm going to the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so mad. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I uh, I have a degree in history <laughs> and no drinks right now. <laughs> oh, God. I just, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm angry too. I just want to reach through my computer screen and throttle everyone involved with making this book happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to read next um, a little bit about the history of Liberty, the time traveling talking horse, and where he came from, and the dodgy science behind why he can time travel, and how he met Rush Revere, and I don't know, all sorts of bullshit. 
All right, here we go. I've concluded that Liberty is originally from the Revolutionary time period and lived during the Revolutionary War. His memory is spotty, but he has several strong memories during the 1770s. The Boston Tea Party, the Ride of Paul Revere, the Battle of Bunker Hill, the public reading of the Declaration of Independence. And I specifically remember hearing that in 1775, Alexander Cummings invented the flushing toilet, exclaimed Liberty. I've never heard you mention that, I said, surprised. It just popped into my head, Liberty replied. But that doesn't explain how Liberty ended up in modern-day America, said Tommy. Or the fact that he can talk and turn practically invisible, Freedom added. Yes, well, let me try to explain, I said. Liberty remembers a lightning storm, Liberty butted in. I'm not a big fan of lightning. Just the thought of it gives me the willies, I continued. It appears that lightning may have struck Liberty and created a supernatural phenomenon or a time portal that thrust him forward in time to our day. The electrical properties that charged through his body and the vortex that sent him to the future changed him physically and mentally. He can not only talk and disappear, but he's also... I paused, trying to formulate the right words. Freedom finished my sentence and said, A time machine. What? Tommy said, confused. Did I miss something? Did you just say time machine? He's more like a time portal, I said to clarify. He has the ability to momentarily open a time door to anywhere in history. Well, more specifically, anything that touches American history. Tommy started laughing. Okay, this is a joke. I'm on to you. This is some reality TV show called The Biggest Bozo Who Believes Anything, right? Where are the cameras? Tommy started looking around the room. He then looked at Freedom and back at me. Both of us were dead serious. You believe this guy? Tommy asked Freedom, sticking his thumb out at me. Freedom replied, You've just seen and heard a talking horse who turned invisible, but you won't believe he can travel through time? Hey, I might be crazy, but I'm not that crazy, okay? Tommy said. He got up from his desk and started pacing the floor. He took off his baseball cap and combed his fingers through his blonde hair. He sighed. I have to think about this for a minute. We probably shouldn't show them the other thing I can do, should we? I mean, he seems a little freaked out right now, Liberty said. No, I said firmly. I took a deep breath. I need to finish our story. I believe the lightning created the time portal that brought Liberty to the modern day. Tommy put his baseball cap back on and said, Okay, okay, maybe it is possible. I mean, I don't think the lightning hit him directly. Technically, a direct hit would have killed him, but I guess there's a possibility that several bolts could have simultaneously hit the ground around him, creating an electrostatic prism, and maybe the positive and negative charge carriers combined with the acoustic shockwaves created some kind of time hole that sent liberty to the future. Freedom and I were stunned by Tommy's explanation. Aren't you a football player? Freedom said. You're never this smart in our other classes. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I that is a lot of mumbo jumbo. Lot of mumbo jumbo. But isn't it hilarious? He's a football player, but he knows some made up words about science. Who it's crazy. It, I kept, I actually kept laughing in my head thinking of there's an episode of Gravity Falls with time travel where for comic effect, the time traveler adds the word time to everything. Like, shut your time hole is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's what I felt like reading that passage, except it wasn't a joke. It was serious. All right, Reed, do you want to read um, your selection? Uh, Sure. Mine is a bit shorter. Uh, I'll give a brief synopsis. This is right where they save um, one of the little troublesome boys uh, who was on the Mayflower. They spooked him, and he's going to fall out of a tree. The horse stops time. It gets explained. Okay, this is a short paragraph. Liberty half smiled and weakly replied, Yes, it worked. I actually stopped time for a few seconds, although I'm not sure how I did it. It was different than opening the time portal to the past or back to the present. That seems easy compared to this. This was different. It was like flipping a switch in my brain, although it wasn't really in my brain. It was more like a space between time. It was a place between here and now. I'm sure that sounds completely ridiculous, but it's the best I can come up with right now. I feel like that last sentence is a good explanation for this entire book. And possi- <laughs> right. Possibly because Rush Limbaugh was like on Oxycontins when he wrote it. Right. And just, <laughs> he just started typing and never looked back. <laughs> it's the best I can come up with right now. <laughs> I mean... This summer, after I had my ankle surgery, I was on oxys for a while, and I can tell you that I never uh, <laughs> did this. <laughs> so there's there's got to be something else at work here. <laughs> All right, and now um, for our, our finale of dramatic readings, we're going to um, do a part at the end for you where um, they're discussing the evils of socialism. And I will play the role of Squanto, who, in case you have forgotten, was um, the American Indian who knew English because he had formerly been a slave. So he's the one who taught the pilgrims some basic things about farming and socialism, I guess. Um, Kate will be William Bradford, Bradford, governor of the colony. And Reed gets to be Rush Revere, substitute history teacher extraordinaire. And Squanto has been a good friend to me in our settlement, said William. He taught us where to hunt and fish, how to plant and grow the best crops, what herbs to use for medicines, and how to trade for supplies with other tribes. We believe he's been sent from God as an instrument to help us grow and prosper. You are too kind, William, said Squanto. God, as you say, rescued me from slavery in Spain. The Catholic friars, holy men, helped me escape. They risked their lives to free me so that I could return to my native land. I have much to be grateful for, and I choose to show my gratitude by serving my new friend and holy man, William Bradford. I could see how Squanto would consider William to be holy. The Puritans prayed many times a day, and they never worked on the Sabbath. They tried to show compassion to all men and women and looked for solutions to their problems without violence. With great admiration, I turned to William and said, Mr. Bradford, I must thank you so much for inviting me. I am beyond honored. William replied, Tommy is a good lad. I wasn't sure if I would see you at the common house, but I knew he would find a way to get my letter to you. I wanted you to be here to celebrate with us. We all have so much to be grateful for on this day. Yes, I agreed. Everyone seems so joyous, far different than a short while ago. It's true. 
But the real difference came when every family was assigned its own plot of land to work. That was the turning point. They were permitted to market their own crops and products. This, is ver this had very good success. Men and women worked harder and much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. The turnaround to success is truly extraordinary. And you say that it all happened soon after you stopped sharing the profits that gave every man a common share or equal amount? Yes. At first we really had great expectations and high hopes that all people would embrace the idea of a commonwealth. But it didn't work. In fact, it almost ruined us. We learned that it wasn't actually fair at all. But William is a smart man. He gave people their own land. He made people free. No more slaves to a common house. They set up trading posts and exchanged goods with Indians. In no time, we found that we had more food than we could eat ourselves. We realized that our profits would soon allow us to pay back the people that sponsored our voyage to America. In fact, we expect more, more Puritans to arrive, and surely more Europeans will come to trade with us. I smiled at what William was saying. This, of course, is something that America has long since learned. But I marveled at how quickly the pilgrims figured it out. When people have individual freedom to work, build, create, market, and make a profit for themselves, the community prospers faster than it would when these freedoms aren't available to men and women. It was obvious that this first Thanksgiving wouldn't be possible if William Bradford hadn't boldly changed the way pilgrims worked and lived. Uh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Stop jerking off to William Bradford. <laughs> Rush, just stop. Stop. Do it in private, please. Yeah. I oh. I guess I don't even have anything else to say about that. I, I, <laughs> just the epitome of grossness in this book. Like the grossest moment of Rush Limbaugh putting... Yeah, you know, thank God William Bradford, who's a holy man and wonderful, decided to give all the new Puritans land that they could farm themselves privately to trade with us Indians, said Squanto. Like, oh, God. Right, because Rush and William had a similar conversation a few other times in the book. And, I mean, it was definitely real gross. But bringing Squanto into it like that is just... Disgusting. Okay, let's let's move on to Would You Rather? And I will ask, would you rather read the next Rush Revere book, which is uh I forget. I had to pull up my closet. Something about the Patriots. Oh, Rush Revere and the First Patriots, here it is. Or the next Theo Boone book, which if you'll recall, if you listen to our Theo Boone episode um would be theo boone kid lawyer and the abduction i gotta say i think i would rather read the next theo boone book because that was garbage but at least it was f funny to me horrible garbage like i i did get a certain amount of that vicarious like this is trash but it's so bad it's funny from it that i did not get from this book and yeah, having I haven't read uh, the Theo Boone books, um, so I'd probably go with that. Just try something new, <laughs> and hopefully, because like reading the Rush book just really 
infuriated me a lot, uh, not just because of the politics behind it, but also the amount of garbage fluff that's in it. Like, all the classroom scenes are really just very unnecessary in the book and are hard to read because they're just they're just awful and not important at all. I would rather read the Wikipedia page <laughs> about the Mayflower than like, read this book. Well, we all would. <laughs> so, but yeah, in the, in the book... universe posed by this would you rather, these are the only two books left in existence. <laughs> <laughs> then I would have to go with the, the Theo Boone. Oh, boy. Um, it's hard. I'm tempted to say I would rather actually read the next Rush Revere book because um, it's a little bit shorter. <laughs> <laughs> But also, I mean, just thinking about it, like, honestly, like, my face right now is, like, I literally have, like, flames on the side of my face. Like, literally my face is flushed right now from how mad I am about this. So, (laughs) I don't know if I could physically handle it. But I'm also, I'm sort of, like, like, masochistically curious about what Rush Limbaugh has to say about the tea party. Oh, his favorite. I know. So... (laughs) Just, I might pick that. I might pick to read about that. <laughs> I mean, another reason why I would not be able to read that is because I feel like I would spend a lot of time being like, that's not what it, like what really happened, having lived in Boston for three or four years now and like ingesting every single historical place and tidbit and fact and knowledge from these things. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a grim choice. Yeah. And so is this next one. Would you rather time travel through history with Rush Revere or listen to Rush Limbaugh's radio show? Is there really much of a difference? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say travel through history with Rush Revere because I feel like because this, the Rush Revere is made for a younger audience some of the more horrible, vitriolic, terrible things that Rush Limbaugh might say on his radio show probably Rush Revere can't say for reasons of, like, standards and practices and shit. (laughs) So it would still be horrible and unbearable and excruciating and infuriating, but I probably wouldn't actually murder him (laughs) <laughs> the way that I might actually murder. <laughs> I'm thinking, though, I mean, if you're listening to the radio show, you, like, I'll listen to a lot of podcasts while I do other stuff. Like, I'll put it in on, like, vacuuming or, like, doing my nails or whatever. And so you could kind of maybe have it on the background and not totally focus on it. But if I you're mean, t- are you... Is, is that allowed? Is that allowed in this... In the universe of this Would You Rather? That you could just, like, kind of put it on while you're, like, I don't know, donating lots of money to queer-friendly charities? I I would say yes. I would say it's allowed to be in the background. All right, then I'm changing it to that. (laughs) Okay, see, I'm I'm putting that out there, but I think I might choose to time travel anyway, just because, I mean, regardless of, like, what huge-headed garbage person you're going with, like, it'd still be pretty cool to time travel. Right. So. And you get an invisible talking, clogging horse. Yeah. 
so I I guess I would pick to time travel, but I would might murder Rush and steal his horse. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How about yeah, you? Reed? I too am gonna have to go with the time traveling. Uh, basically, what you said, just to be able to time travel. Yeah. If it can only be to anything that touches, has to do with America. We could um, we could make him go back to the Civil War and just like see what he does. <laughs> see how he spins it. <laughs> I do have a mild confession to make. I often will either have the conservative talk radio on or NP like I switch between that and the NPR in my car. And so I have listened to quite a bit of Rush Limbaugh and oh. uh some of it, the other folks. Um but the other week Rush Limbaugh spent 20 minutes talking about his cat and it was the most entertaining well, I think you I kind of missed. Be allowed to have a cat. <laughs> I kind of missed the beginning. I think he was talking about how like his cat had just recently died, and he was kind of talking about, um, you know, the cat starting to like struggle and you know not being able to jump and did he have a death penalty for the cat? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but him talking about his cat was one of the most entertaining things I've ever heard in my life. Um, so you know, give him a give him a shot. He might he might talk about his cat. You know, something like that. <laughs> it, it's not as infuriating. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think he should be allowed to have pets. Personally, um, <laughs> that's my stance uh, on Rush. <laughs> All right. Last up, would you rather eat Thanksgiving dinner with the Puritans or drink iced tea with Rush Limbaugh? Um, some factors to keep in mind, it takes a lot longer to eat a meal than it does to just drink a nice tea. And also, a fact that Rush didn't really go into in the book is that women were not allowed to eat at the Thanksgiving dinner. It was men only. Um, then I'm going to yeah, go I, with... I imagine... Drink an iced tea very quickly, chug that iced tea down, <laughs> throw the bottle at his head, and run away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think, again, I'm still going to have to go, like, regardless of how garbage it is, I think I would still rather, like, go back and, you know, wash dishes with the Puritan woman just for, like, <laughs> the experience of the time travel, even though I think it would be a lot shittier than Rush Revere portrayed. I'm probably going to have to go with the tea because I imagine uh, the first thanksgiving dinner had really horrible food that i would not enjoy eating yeah yeah they didn't have spices yet no (laughs) or like you know gas ovens you know the good stuff right refrigerators i'd probably get sick and would have to time travel to the future to get my seasickness bills (laughs) or whatever right right All right, let's move on to um, Reader's Advisory and say what we would suggest people read instead of or in addition to Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims. Um, Well, right off the bat, the two things that that immediately came to mind when I was reading this and getting angry was uh, A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. And Lies My Teacher Told Me by James Lowen, which are not, I mean, they're pretty comprehensive, but they're not, like, 100% comprehensive. But they cover things in a lot more actual 
detail than Brush Limbaugh's rose painted Puritans are the best William Bradford on a pedestal recitation of American history. My first suggestion is going to be what I think is probably um, the best portrayal of time travel ever, um, which is Bill and Ted's Excellent Journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we've been talking about how Rush Limbaugh, like how none of this makes sense, like I've just been thinking, I'm sorry, Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey, both of those. Um it just as comical and silly as those are, it makes a lot more sense than this horse struck by lightning nonsense. And it's way funnier on purpose. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably one of my favorite books uh, by Herbert George Wells, other or H.G. <laughs> Wells, uh, the classic time machine. If you really want a good time traveling story, I'd go for that. Nice. Um, I'd add, too, on the time-traveling route, the Time Warp Trio by John Sheska, um, with illustrations by Lane Smith, I think. Um, But they are also illustrated middle-grade books about time travel that are way better, more thought-out, funnier, um, less crazy conservative political agenda, and way way funnier yeah i'm also i'm gonna go and go ahead and suggest the time traveling fashionista series by um bianca turetsky i think um those are pretty recent within the last few years um the first one is time traveling fashionista on board the titanic and they're just they're like middle grade um slash ya uh, they're pretty, like, fluffy. They don't necessarily go a whole lot into, like, how the time... Tra- like, there's magical dresses at this um, vintage store, and if she puts on the right one, it sends her back in time. And um, <laughs> they're just, like, fun, and they have... They're also illustrated, and they talk um, a lot about the history of fashion and how maybe that was impacted by the events of the day. And, yeah, they're just... They're kind of fun, and some historical information and no weird conservative garbage definitely would recommend those uh, i would recommend stephen colbert's uh i am a pole and so can you <laughs> which is his uh children's book um it's just about a pole that you know changes the world uh, you know flag <laughs> uh, the flagpole that could um and it's you know has the same kind of Colbert political satire, um, but it's definitely more kid friendly, to be honest. Fun for kids and adults, and and much more funny than that stupid horse. Right. <laughs> um, my my last recommendation that I'll throw out um, is "My Name Is America: The Journal of Jasper Jonathan Pierce, a Pilgrim Boy." That's from the Dear America Middle Grade series, which are a bunch of faux diaries, historical fiction, like a diary from somebody at a bunch of significant points in time. Um, this is the Pilgrim one. It's by Anne Rinaldi, who is has written a thousand million other historical fiction books. And uh, I haven't read all of them, but I've read a lot of her books, and she's pretty good and pretty uh, does a lot more research than Rush Limbaugh. 
So if, <laughs> if you want to read more about specifically the Pilgrims or Puritans, check out her Dear America book. Oh, and I forgot to say that the kid, Jasper, is an indentured servant to the Pilgrims. So already, just from the concept, she's keeping it way realer than Rush. <laughs> And also, apparently, uh, Lynn Cheney, who is Dick Cheney's wife, has a series of children's books oh, yeah. that are supposed to, yeah, and they're they actually get like pretty good reviews. I've never read one and probably won't, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she has like a bunch apparently, and that are much more kid friendly and kind of historically accurate, um, and probably have a little bit more of the conservative kind of ideas behind it, but. Yeah. Oh, one other one I was going to throw out is um, if you just like this for the talking horse, I would recommend Black Beauty by Anna Sewell <laughs> um, or Sabrina the Teenage Witch for Salem the Talking Cat. Check that out. <laughs> um, and there will be um, a full list, including some we didn't get a chance to talk about, um, up on our website at worstbestsellers.com. So check that out if you desperately want some historical fiction to read that isn't gross (laughs) and now we'll go on to discuss our candy pairings where um just like how a restaurant might recommend a fine wine to go with your dinner we will recommend a candy to accompany this book i um for this one went straight to the list of old-timey gross candies that, you know, you sometimes get on Halloween from old people on your street, and you don't know what they are, and you don't eat them. And uh, went with Mary Janes, which are some sort of, mm. I don't know, molasses, peanut butter, something candy that I always used to get on Halloween from the old people who lived in our neighborhood. And you can't eat them, and they break your teeth. But old people think it's still what the kids are into, based on a hazy and rose-colored nostalgia for a simply t- simpler time. Nice. Um, I'll go with Boy Scout popcorn, which maybe isn't strictly speaking a candy. I think they have caramel corn, though. But it's just, like, kind of bland, and it's uh, overpriced and imbued with conservative values. I chose the Flags of Freedom candy, which is just, like, a weird... It's just like a generic chocolate, um, but the only reason you buy it is because it's wrapped in these little Ameri- tinfoil American flags. USA. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about the moral of the story? What did you guys think the moral of this book was? Uh, at the end of the day, powerful, hyper-religious white men are the true heroes. Reed, what do you got? Uh, Thanksgiving teaches us how socialism is the worst. (laughs) Yeah, my moral is, uh, socialism will lead to mass starvation. (laughs) Which I think... You're, you're ways, you're ways funnier than the way I said it. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) good try. (laughs) All right, we'll move on now to Duarte's Corner, where I give my cat Duarte the opportunity to express himself. All right, Duarte, thank you so much for sharing your opinions with us. I have to say I 100% agree. I think your vitriol here is very merited, personally. 
Very insightful. <laughs> harsh on the horse, but you know, different strokes. <laughs> can uh, can Duarte turn invisible too? Oh, um, that's a secret. <laughs> or just he just he just travels through time. <laughs> yeah, he he tra- he doesn't care about visibility. He just travels through time and like gouges people's eyes out and then comes back to the future. Very smugly. <laughs> All right, do any humans have any closing thoughts about Rush Revere? Uh, don't read this book. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's no good. <laughs> that seems legit to me. <laughs> All right, well, um, thank you guys for listening. Reed, thank you for joining us. You are quite welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Renata Snacks. You can follow me on Twitter at at 14 across. Uh, you cannot follow me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <if you> wanna... <laughs> That's okay. Friendship if you... <laughs> Because I do not have one. Uh, if you, I guess if you want to look at some of the art stuff that I do, you can go to stupidbetter.com. Yeah, you should go there. There's, there's cats on it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and yeah you should you should definitely visit reed's website um you should also subscribe to us on itunes and rate and review us we would love that if you listen to us on stitcher you can also review us there uh just just keep doing it until our heads get as giant as rush reviewers is which we'll post some of the illustrations online so you can see how big that is we've got a ways to go yeah um, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us as a podcast on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S at the end. You can visit us online at WorstBestsellers.com. Is there anything else you can do? Mm, I mean, there's lots of different things you can do. I think those are really <laughs> the only ones that are related specifically to this podcast. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Actually, if you have a suggestion for a book that you think that we should read, uh, feel free to email us at worstbestsellers at gmail.com um, because we're always looking for new terrible books to talk about and subject ourselves and you too. Yes. Um, people keep suggesting Fifty Shades of Grey. Don't worry, we're definitely going to do Fifty Shades of Grey, but uh, we can't we can't just leap right into the deep end of Fifty Shades. We got to work our way up to it. So <laughs> but don't worry, we got plans. Um, what we are reading for next time is The Christmas Shoes by Donna Van Leer, possibly the only novel based on a song, but maybe not. <laughs> Certainly the first novel we're reading for the podcast to be based on a song. Um, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good one.